you want to know more about Operation Christmas Child and the shoebox ministry, say hey to Diane. She's here. Wave. Yeah, say hey, Diane. And Katie. Actually, there's a few more. So say, um, yeah. If you want to know, nudge somebody, and they'll probably know if you want to know. Good morning. I'm happy to see y'all. Today, today's a big day. Today's a special week for me and my family. Big deal for me and my wife. We celebrated our wedding anniversary this week. And she's right here in the front, just so you know. So I did real well. <clears throat> I will not tell you how many years it's been. Because she does not look old enough to have been married that long. I look old enough to have been married that long. And I don't want you to think I'm some weirdo and I married her when I was a grown-up and she was a little kid. No, that's, that's not how this works. Uh, she just looks incredibly young. So uh, I actually want to, Janiah, help me out here. Show that first picture. Look at that. Look how skinny I was. What the heck? That is at Katie's senior prom. I did not go to my senior prom because I hadn't met Katie yet. And also, I was scared of girls. And uh, I went fishing instead. Anybody else go fishing on the day of their senior prom? Just the cool guys like me. Okay, fine. Whatever, you guys. Katie looks about the same. Let's see the next. This is, okay, that's before I got married. Look what happened after I got married. I got fat. So, <laughs> got fat, which tells you how happy I was and what a good cook my wife is. Got fat, could not grow enough beard to cover up the fat. Praise Jesus, I, got, I can grow a beard now, and I can cover up some of the, the chubbiness. Look at Katie. Looks exactly the same. Doesn't that make you sick when, when someone looks exactly the same and, and never age? So, yeah. It's been a good week. It's been a good week. Should I tell them how long it's been, Kit? 21 years. That's nuts. That's half my life. 21 years. That's more than half of Katie's life. She was graduated and um, then got married to me. I don't know. Bill, what? Why didn't you stop her, Bill? It's Katie's dad. Why didn't you stop her? Anyway, it's worked out all right thus far, as long as I'm on my good behavior. Those two didn't have a clue what they were getting into. Not a clue. Of course, we've been through a lot since then. A lot. A lot of good times, a lot of tough times. Katie has this nasty habit of about every five years she tries to die. She's been unsuccessful so far. She <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. He's spared her a few times. And uh, she's, she's here and doing really, really well, the best she has in probably, probably ten years. We live through things we never could have imagined. Maybe you would say that too. You've lived through some stuff you never would have imagined. You could not have predicted and yet, in those moments where it seems like we should give up, maybe, God has come through. God showed up. God showed up when we thought maybe He wouldn't. Maybe not on our timetable, but He showed up. A few weeks ago, we looked at a story from the book of Mark where some people were expecting God, or Jesus in this the Son of God. We're expecting Jesus. And then He wasn't there. And they were left waiting. 
waiting on him to show back up. Good news, he is. He's coming back around. Don't ever feel like God has forgotten you. He has not. His timetable might work differently than ours, but he has absolutely not forgotten you. And in the right season, he'll be, he'll be there. So we're in Mark chapter 2, and we see how Jesus traveled all around the region of Galilee. He had a healing and preaching ministry. Now he has circled back around to Capernaum, where he started. Most people know about Bethlehem, where he was born, Nazareth, where he was raised, Jerusalem, where he was crucified. But not everyone knows about Capernaum, which was kind of his home base of ministry while, during the, the years that he was preaching. He would always come back to Capernaum. And that was the hometown of Simon Peter. He's come back to the hometown there of some of his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were from Capernaum, most likely. And those folks who were waiting to see Jesus, who wanted that healing, they're going to get their shot. So that's good news. The story's in Mark chapter 2. It's one of my favorite stories. I don't know your story when you got to first be involved with church. I was nine years old before my family started going to church, and we got very, very involved, and I started hearing these stories. This is one of my favorites of all time. So Jesus was staying in the house, most likely, of Simon Peter, the apostle. Very interesting to note that during his ministry, Jesus never had a home of his own. He never had a house that was, quote, his house. He never had a consistent place to stay. It's hard to imagine the Son of God couch surfing, but that's exactly what he did. He, ne he sometimes slept outside on the ground if he did not have a place to stay. So Jesus was, by some people's definition anyway, he was effectively homeless. He did not have a home. I realize there are some people who want to use Christianity as a justification for the pursuit of, of lots of money and lots of stuff and, and big houses. But we serve a Savior who never had any of that. Never had any of that at all. I hope the Lord does bless you. I hope He blesses you with all sorts of good things on this earth. But just understand, our founder wasn't about that. He was about making a spiritual impact, and that's what He's going to do here. So everyone here's Jesus is back in town. And all those people who wanted to see him the first time and didn't get to, they swarm the house. So many people are surrounding this house that are pe people are wanting to peek in the windows and peek in the doors, but they can't. There's no room. But he does begin healing some of these people that didn't get healed before. So that goes to show you God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. You got something that you've been praying for for a long time and it hasn't happened yet. Don't stop praying. If you're praying for someone to get saved, to come to know the Lord, don't stop praying because it can happen. God will do work in his time. So they couldn't get in the house, but they wanted to see what was going on in there. What was going on? Verse 2 tells us that Jesus was in there preaching the word to them. Here's something we need to understand. Healings and miracles are exciting. You want to see healings? You want to see miracles? Me too. But the healings and miracles of Jesus were never just about the healings and miracles. They had a purpose that, were, that was greater. They were not an end in themselves. They were the means to an end. The miracles were to authenticate the message. 
people recognized their need of physical restoration, but what they really needed was spiritual redemption. So Jesus healed bodies as a way to show that he had the power to heal hearts. It wasn't about the miracles. It was about the message. But in order for them to believe the message, he gave them some miracles so they could see. One of the people who came to Jesus was in a desperate situation. We don't know how he got that way. Maybe he was born in this shape. Maybe he had some sort of accident or illness. But the word says he was paralyzed. Most likely he was a quadriplegic, meaning he had no ability to control his arms or legs. He, he was severely, severely paralyzed. Four men came carrying him on a mat. But remember the problem. Can they get in the house? No, there's such a crowd of people. And you say, well, why wouldn't they move out of the way to let the guy who needs healing? Hey, y'all, everybody needed healing. It was a, already a big line of people who needed healing. And, and they weren't about to give up their spot. So what are they going to do? Let's read the scripture. It's one of the reasons I love this. Um, we're going to start into it. Verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. A paralytic man carried by four other men. Imagine he's on, a, he's on a bed like a sleeping mat and everybody's got it by a corner. So it was kind of like a stretcher, but not exactly. Let me first say this man was incredibly blessed, even though he was paralyzed. Why? Because he had friends. He had friends that were willing to carry him when he could not carry himself. Have you ever noticed it's a little hard to make friends as a grown-up? Like, like you go to school. I don't know how it is for little, little girls, but for little boys, you walk into kindergarten, and you're like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? Your, your favorite color is blue? Did we just become best friends? I think we did. For me, it was I walked into kindergarten and was like, hey, there's the other weird kid. Let's be friends for the next 13 years. And we were. <laughs> we were. <laughs> you know, it's easy to make friends when you're a kid. It's hard to make friends when you're an adult. And it's really, you want to know who your really, really, really best friends are? Um, when you need to move a couch. That's when you find out who the people who love you the most are. Piano, yes, yes. I actually have some uh, some people in this room who helped me move a piano one time, so I'm very I'm very blessed. If you got some friends who will pick you up and carry you when you can't walk, that's that's good stuff. That's what we want to be as a church family. We want to be that to each other. Will we always get that right? No. Will we miss opportunities? Yes. But that is what we're aiming at to be people who will carry one another we're going to need it i don't care how strong you are the day will come when you need to be carried too and good friends good friends will pick you up and carry you but great friends will do one more thing they'll do what these men did they will carry you towards jesus that's what a truly good friend should do should bring friends to jesus you've got a calling to move your friends in the direction of jesus or be a part of that don't underestimate the impact you can have on the people in your life. God has perfectly positioned you to be an influence for the gospel. And you might say, ah, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher. Well, have you ever stopped to consider that? That might actually be a good thing. 
Do you know what happens when people see a preacher coming? Because let me tell you, I do. I do. They're like, oh, the preacher's coming. Better straighten up. The preacher's coming. And they'll say something, you know, say, you know, use a word. And they're like, oh, sorry, preacher man. I was like, that's right. I'm going to tell Jesus on you. I heard that. I'm taking notes. I'm going to tell Jesus. And usually they figure out really quick, okay, okay, okay. But the thing is, there are people who will be real with you who won't be real with me. There are people you can reach because you're not a, quote, professional they're people that you can influence, people that you already have a relationship with, that if a, a preacher shows up at their door, they're like, who's this guy? But you already see him every day at work, or you see him in your neighborhood, or you know him in your family. You can be an influence. It's not just preachers who are the messengers of the love and goodness and hope that can be found in Jesus. It's you. Now, you know our motto. We say it all the time. And, 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 and we can repeat it, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. It's just so easy. It comes, you know, just rings, just like that. Our, our identity statement's a little longer, it's a little harder to remember. Recreate Church is a community of life and love, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's a big mouthful, so we might just say it like this. What do we do? We help people move towards Jesus. Fair enough? Help people move, to move towards Jesus. What if they're already close to Jesus? Well, let's help them move a little closer to Jesus. What if they're a million miles away from Jesus? Well, then it won't be hard to move them a little closer to Jesus because they're starting way back. What if they're moving in the opposite direction of Jesus? Well, can we slow them down a little bit? Can we slow the slide into the darkness? That is a momentum shift in the direction of Jesus. So, What's this, what's this about anyway? Well, I want you to know we unapologetically believe that the closer you get to Jesus, the more Jesus is in your life, the more your life will have meaning and direction and peace. Does that mean it will have complete peace and complete meaning and complete direction? No, probably not. But you'll have a lot more. You see, we say we... We don't want anything from people. We want, uh, want, we want something for them, not from them. And what we want for people is to, is to have some of this good stuff that's found in Jesus. So let's get back to the story. Verse 4. Verse 4, please, Janiah. And when they could come, could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So we've gotten to a little bit of property destruction here. I don't know if you've ever hired a bad contractor and feel like they knocked a hole in your roof. You know, here we are in, in our building. We struggle a little bit with our roof, and, and uh, we're always fighting leaks, it seems. So uh, although this this idea, if we try to cram this into the context of what we know every day, it's very difficult to imagine someone coming to your house and they can't get in the door, so they come in through the roof. Like you've got so many house guests. I'm not talking about someone like breaking in like a criminal, but your house is so full of, of people who are visiting you that they have to come in through the roof. Unless you have a skylight, that might work. But in this time and in this culture... The houses were different. They all had a flat roof. Most of them had a flat roof. 
and you could get up on the roof easily with a set of steps or a ladder. Or if it was built back into an embankment, you could just walk right out onto the roof. And people would use the roof of their home like we would use a deck or a porch. They would sit up there. Now, if I come by your house and you're sitting on the roof, I'm probably going to find out what's going on. Like, are you, do you, are you up there on purpose? Did you get stuck? And I'm just, it used to be a joke. The joke that I would drive by and, and, and see mom up on the roof. That was the joke that we always had. Mom is such a go-getter. But it's a metal roof now. You probably shouldn't get on the roof, Mom. Yeah, okay. So fair enough. You know, the house I grew up in was kind of built into an embankment, and we could climb on the roof, and Mom usually knew when we were on the roof, why are you on the roof? We were just little redneck kids, okay? Give us a break. What else was there to do? We weren't burning anything down. We'd already done that before, and we're bored with that. So anyway, you could get on the roof of these homes pretty easily. You could just, it was easy to get up there. And the roof wasn't made out of metal. It wasn't made out of shingles. It wasn't even made out of wood. It was made out of mostly like slabs of clay. Like think big, thick clay tiles. You with me? So it would have looked less like what we would recognize as a roof and maybe a little more like what we would call a patio. That's what it would have looked like. It was, it was big slabs or big tiles made out of clay, and they would be laid over a wood frame or something. And that's how they formed the roof. Remember, that it doesn't rain a lot here, so it's not like they had to have a lot of accommodation for water. So getting through that roof, it wasn't like you had to dig through shingles and, and, and uh, sheeting and rafters and through a ceiling. No, you just had to dig a little bit and pry up one of these big slabs of clay. That's all you had to do. Maybe prop a couple of those. And then you could get in. Now imagine, imagine you're in a preaching service and, and dust starts raining down on your head where you're at. And that gets a little real for us, doesn't it, Duncan, here with some of our leaking issues. Um, just imagine you're, you're visiting someone's home and dust starts raining down on your head and you're like, oh, it's, it's the rapture. It's Jesus. It's not, but it's not. The roof opens up, and it ain't Jesus who comes down through the hole. It's some guy wrapped up in a mat, in a sleeping mat. And, and probably they had ropes tied to the four corners. I don't think they just dropped him in the hole. I can't imagine. I know they're counting on Jesus to heal him, but they don't want to hurt him more before the healing happens, just in case. And he comes lowering down. What would you think? This human burrito comes down out of the sky in the middle of the preaching meeting, we need to figure out a way to do that sometime. You know, if we're ever in a different building where that will allow, we'll send Elijah down from the ceiling as a human burrito and just lay him there. And just crazy. And they look up into the hole like, what's going on? And these four faces are looking down like, okay, what next? What next? That was shocking, right? But Jesus' response to this shocked the crowd that heard it more than the guy coming down out of the ceiling. What could be so shocking to these people? Verse 5 tells us. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That's an easy sentence to utter, but it's a hard thing to accomplish. 
Jesus saw their faith. The faith of the man and the faith of his four friends. It took faith for all of them. It, it took faith for the friends to bring this man to Jesus. It took faith for the man to believe that Jesus could heal him. And to trust his friends to lower him into a hole. I bet there are some people among us right now who would trust folks with their lives but would not trust them to lower you on a rope somewhere. My wife trusts me so much. Look at her. She's just looking at me in such an adoring way right now. I can just tell in her eyes that she just admires me and lots of other stuff that I'm making up in my mind. And, uh, <laughs> but she would not trust me to lower her on a rope anywhere. Not unless it was 100% chance she would die otherwise because she'd be like, you'll kill me, Michael. She would not trust me to lower her in a rope. So it took a lot of faith for this guy to trust his friends. Remember, he can't, he can't do anything for himself. That's a difficult position to be in. But spiritually, we're, we're kind of there anyway. We cannot save ourselves. And we just, we just can't understand that. We are not able to grasp our inability to save ourselves. We just keep trying and working a little harder. This guy, physically, he knows he can't, he can't do anything for himself. So... Uh, took faith for this, for these friends to carry this man to Jesus and do to do something so bold in order to get him to Jesus. They did just tear up a fellow's roof, and this is probably Simon Peter's house. And later on in the gospel, Simon Peter's going to cut a dude's ear off because let me tell you, Peter he loved Jesus, but he'll cut you. I have biblical documentation. That he'll cut you. I don't know what he did about the roof. What happened next was pretty amazing. He's probably like, oh, okay, okay, we'll fix the roof later. These men brought the guy to Jesus. We can be an influence to Jesus, for people to bring them to Jesus, but we, your faith cannot save somebody else. As badly as we might like to believe on behalf of our loved ones and believe on their behalf that they might believe each person has to make their own decision to trust in Jesus or not. And we cannot do that for them. In my years of ministry, I've seen people sort of push somebody out in the aisle and kind of prod them down the aisle. And it, it doesn't really work that way. Someone can go through the motions, but it doesn't mean they have to make a decision. However, do not underestimate your impact on people around you. You are a difference maker. As you show the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus, as you share his words, you're going to touch people's lives. Just by living out this Jesus life, you can be a part of that momentum change towards Jesus. So these people that you see, I know you know some people who need Jesus. You know some people who need Jesus extra really bad because they're not nice. Please don't tell me that you're completely surrounded by nice people all the time because that'll be hard for me to accept. These people need Jesus, and you can be a part of that. You can't believe for them, but you, you can live out your life and influence them. So, so let's ask the question here. What was the purpose for which they brought this man to Jesus? What was their hope? What was their intention when they tore up Simon Peter's roof and dropped the human burrito down through the hole into Jesus' lap? What were they hoping was going to happen? 
going to heal him. But did Jesus start out by saying, You're, you are healed, be healed? Is that what he began by saying? What did he say? Your sins are forgiven. Now that is confusing. So far as they understood, healing was the best thing that could happen. Healing was the point. This man's condition was terrible. He was paralyzed. Maybe even a quadriplegic, meaning he could move nothing from, from his neck down. What a terrible situation. And yet, Jesus did not start out by saying, you are healed. He didn't say that. As awful as the situation, there's something he needed worse than healing. He needed redemption. Every person needs redemption. We pray to God for all kinds of things. We do pray for healing. Absolutely, we pray for healing. We pray that some kind of need we have will be met. We pray for wisdom. We pray for our relationships. And all those things are very, very important. But there's something that is of ultimate importance. We all need forgiveness. We all need redemption. We need clean hands and a clean heart. Those other things are a big deal. But all of most of the stuff that we pray about, when, whenever our life comes to an end, all those troubles are gone. It's the spiritual stuff that lasts beyond this world. That while we're praying about all the stuff that's going on here that bothers us, we cannot neglect to pray for the things that are going to last forever. You can get all the health, all the wealth, all the prestige, and then it comes to an end if you don't get redemption. The people in the room did not dispute the need of forgiveness. They knew everyone needed forgiveness, but they had a problem that Jesus was the one offering the forgiveness. Let's read the next couple verses, verse 6, verse 7. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who are the scribes? They are the religious scholars who copied the handwritten scriptures. See, there was no printing press, not for well over a thousand years. So every single copy of the Old Testament had to be copied by hand, and it was a very specific process. So these guys, that was their job. That was their full-time job, copying the scriptures, and they were very good at it. They were very meticulous, and they knew the letter of the law better than almost anyone. Doesn't mean they understood everything. In fact, they demonstrate over and again that, that while they they got the letter of the law they did not understand the spirit of it. in this case they're right they said who can who can forgive sins but god alone and that's right no person can forgive your sins i realize there are some religious traditions where at least on the surface a human being absolves you of your sin but you won't really find that in the word of god it's it's got to be god who's forgiving sins and and these guys knew that and they're like hey only god can forgive sins yep you're right but you're missing something that God is in front of you at this very moment. And He is the one forgiving sins. Jesus is not a mere mortal. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God incarnate. And He uses His divine powers. And He reads their minds. He knows their thoughts. They were just thinking this. They didn't say it out loud. But He can, hey, God can read minds. Jesus is God incarnate. He reads their minds. And He says, hey, why are you? Why are you reasoning like this in your hearts? 
Tell me, which, which one is easier? Is it easier to tell someone their sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to tell someone who's paralyzed to rise up and walk? Which one's easier? They didn't have a good answer for that because a mere human being could not do either of those things. Could neither forgive sins nor miraculously heal someone who was paralyzed. Jesus continued, he said, But so you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And here he turns to the paralyzed man. I say to you, rise up, take your sleeping mat, and go to your house. And immediately the paralyzed man did something that he could not have done just moments ago. He stood up, and he took his bedroll, and he tucked it under his arm, and he walked out the door. And everyone is amazed. Capernaum is not that big a place. At this time, the population would not be as big as Hillsville, and they would have known this guy because there was really no way for a person in his condition to be employed, so he would have probably begged on the streets, and people would have recognized him. So everybody knows this man's story. Everybody knows this isn't fake, and they're just flabbergasted. They had no answers for what happened. Big principle here, here that we should not miss. Um, I did not put this on the screen, so you'll have to check this out. Jesus gives the reason for his miracles. He said, I do this so you know I have the power, so, so you know I have the power to forgive sins. I will heal this man. So the purpose of the healing was to show that he could forgive sins. The bigger miracle had already taken place. Forgiveness of sins is a bigger miracle than healing. Healing is a big miracle. No question there. We've seen some miracle healings here in our congregation. We've seen several. Several of you could stand up and talk about the miracles that you have witnessed or have had done for you. You could. But even bigger than that is redemption, is salvation. Sin is more crippling than paralysis. But of course, sin, forgiveness of sins is not something you can instantly see. You, you, someone doesn't have like a golden halo appear over their head and um, start you know, just glowing, blinking, say, yay, I'm saved. That would be nice sometimes to know like who's like on the team and who's not. That might be nice because you can't always tell. Salvation does not instantly make a person look different in a way that uh, being healed from paralysis would. Now, should your life look different after you get saved? Doggone right it should. It should make a difference. And if it doesn't, if it hasn't, you know, that's when you need to go back and say, well, hold on, God, what's going on here? I need to get some things straightened out. But so this, this Jesus did something that they could not see. He forgave their sins. But to help them believe in the bigger miracle they could not see, he gave them a miracle they could see. That was the healing. To this day, forgiveness is the biggest miracle of all. And I think we miss that because we miss what sin is. I realize that church folks have not always done a great job of, of really explaining what sin means. And these, these things that God says are right or wrong and the problem with them. and we Sin has been viewed more as a social problem 
that other people will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do that. Instead of what it really is, sin is this thing that creates a vast chasm between us and God. Sin is not just one person looking down on another person because they got stuff in their life. Oh, wow. Hmm, do you see them over there? They're smoking. They're, they're drinking. Oh my goodness, isn't that terrible? Doesn't that make him a bad person? That's not, the, that's not, the, that's not how sin works, really. That's not the point of it. That's not, we, we cannot treat it as just something that socially it will create a problem for you because some people will look down on you. No, that's, that's really not what it is. Sin does something so much bigger than that. It drives a wedge between us and the one we need the most. Between us and, and God. And in this crazy evil world we need god more than ever and we cannot afford to let anything wiggle between us and god and start pushing that apart start prying that apart because that's what sin does sin is not just oh my stick in the mud neighbor is gonna think he's better than me no sin pushes us away from god we can't we can't have that sin isn't a problem because people judge us Sin is not a problem because God is just the cosmic cop and He's going to pull us over for speeding or being dishonest. Or That's not the real point. Sin separates us from God and it is destructive. It is destructive. If you've ever been responsible for a kid, whether yours or someone else's, you know that when they are little, they try very very hard to punch their ticket early parents with little people you know what i'm saying i see y'all josh and marissa y'all got little people yep mm-hmm. little people try very hard to punch their ticket they have no fear so they're forever hitting their head on something and i remember this very much um our youngest was forever hitting his head on something and he forever had a big giant goose egg on his head they're like oh great great people are going to think we're beating this kid we are not he's doing it to himself imagine that no officer he did it to himself like oh my gosh what do we do with this but you don't set limits and boundaries for that kid because you're power tripping you don't say hey junior don't stick a fork in the outlet just because you like to be the one in charge it's because if they do it's going to hurt them badly. Understand that the boundaries that God sets for us and, and over here is okay and over here is not okay, that boundary isn't just God power tripping. It's Him trying to keep us dummies down here from sticking a fork in the outlet because that's what we do as humans. Our nature is to choose what is destructive for us and God loves us. He don't want that for us. He wants us not to destroy ourselves because he cares about us. He sets these boundaries as, as guardrails so we don't drive off the cliff. You see, sin is so much of a bigger problem than we understand because sin, sin is, is the fork in the outlet. It's the trip off the cliff. That's what it is. It, it, it's not a holier-than-thou person looking down on someone it's not just god liking to power trip 
salvation is the miracle of God rescuing us from ourselves. That's why Jesus forgave this man's sins. Because he, he, he's healed him from his paralysis. But now that he's no longer paralyzed, this man can now go places he shouldn't go and do things he shouldn't do. So with the greater freedom that he has from the healing, he actually has greater opportunity to get off the right path. So it was important that his heart be cleansed and not just his body healed. Jesus healed the man, but he did something so much more. He saved him. The big miracles are impressive, y'all. I'm married to a big miracle. I told you, she is in a habit of like every so many years, tries to hit the eject seat on me right up into heaven. But I'm glad she's here. She's a miracle. We've seen miracles. I'm looking at some miracles. You guys are miracles. You, you've lived through stuff you shouldn't be able to live through, am I right? You've lived through stuff that maybe weren't, wouldn't have killed you, but it would have just broken you completely and you'd been done. God does miracles. But I want you to understand it's not about the miracles. The miracles only serve to prove what God could really do. The visible healing served to prove the invisible truth of forgiveness. So that's why I'm always leery about um, like big showy ministries that put up huge emphasis on miracles. Because Jesus was really a miracle worker, and yet his emphasis was more on the message than the miracle. And certainly not even on the miracle worker. So right now, the miracle of forgiveness is available to you and to me. And why don't we, why don't we take that? I don't know what you carried into this place today. I don't know what burden. I don't know what is between you and God right now. But unless you're having an exceptionally good run lately you've probably got a little something between you and god if not something much bigger there may be something in there there's some unforgiveness or there's some some selfishness or there's some pride or there's just an inability to trust god with something let's give that to him right now let's give it to him heavenly father in jesus name Thank you for the miracle of forgiveness. I pray we won't miss that as we pray for other things. God, we lift up to you now those things that creep in between you and us. God, I want to give you those things that I have not been able to trust you with, and you, you know exactly what they are. I give them to you, Lord. And I confess them and I pray you'll, you'll forgive me for my lack of faith. And I pray that my faith will be strong. God, I pray for every person here receiving this message, either here in person or on the podcast, that you would work in their lives, that you would help them extract that stuff that's gotten, gotten between them and you that's driving a wedge. God, thank you for the miracle of forgiveness that we don't have to do it on our own, that you are able to work in us and through us. God, we give it all to you, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thank you for being a part of this. Um, we do this every week, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. until the chime changes, then it will be 5 p.m. 
And you can always catch us on our podcast. You know things like Spotify and iHeartRadio and Pandora and pretty much any place you can stream audio, you can find us, Podbean. Any place you can find audio online, you can find us. If you just go to Google and Google Recreate Church Podcast, you'll find us. If you go to recreatechurch.org and click on services or I can't remember exactly how it's worded, you'll find us and there you'll be. God bless you all. Thank you for being a part of this today. I'm going to send you out with a little music and I hope you have a wonderful, great day. We'll see you next time.